Grab your Bibles, if you will, and join me as we go to Luke chapter 9. We're going to finally finish out chapter 9. <laughs> yep, did I get this on? Did I? Yep, there we go. We're going to be at the very last, last section of Luke chapter 9. We're going to be starting in verse 57. Let's read this. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, well, foxes have dens and birds of the, of the sky have their nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, well, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would open up your word to us here this morning. God, that you would help us to sense the rich, the richness of what you are calling us to here this morning. A life, Lord Jesus, of yearning for you above all else. And Lord Jesus, we just pray your blessing as we gather, as we open up your word. And, and as I preach, Lord, I pray that they'll be your words and not mine. And Lord, just bless us here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, I've entitled the sermon, Yearn for God. And as you'll see, coming, going, going forward, you'll see where that comes from. This yearning, this desire. Now, now are we familiar with that, that feeling of yearning? This like, oh, I yearn for this, oh, I yearn for that. Right? We have this yearning feeling within us. Specifically, you know, when I was, I, I think I've told this, told this quite a bit, but, you know, for my entire life, I've always kind of been, you know, girl crazy. Had <laughs> always wanted a girlfriend, always wanted a, a wife. I, I think I saw my parents' relationship, and I was like, I want that. I really want that. So I set my goal for that, and then I started to desire it more and desire it more and desire it more. And it was like my life was incomplete unless I had that relationship. I came to idolize marriage and pursued it. It consumed me as I pursued it, consumed the way that I had friendships and relationships with women and girls growing up, and my, relation, my relationship with God, how it tainted everything. And it was kind of this, it was this expectation of you know, my yearning for God to give me a wife. So it tainted even my perspe- per- perception of my relationship with God, that God w- would fulfill his, his, his call in my life, that God would fulfill his goodness to me when he gave me a wife. Felt that as soon as I had a wife, you know, I would be on track. You know, my life would have, would have, would be filling the purpose, the fulfilling the purpose that I believe I was born to live in this life. Which is interesting. I was talking with Amber Lynn this morning. I was like, it was. Like, that really, it feels like I am fulfilling now, like, what God has called me to in my life. Like, having a wife, having children to love and serve the Lord and love and serve the Lord together in ministry. It's the purpose, it was the purpose of my life, and God's timing was just a little different. And God was just waiting. He was like, you know, okay, holding off. 
until you've realized that I belong in the front seat, not this mannequin that you've painted and putting me in the back seat. What do you view as, as soon as this or I have this or that, my life will be in order and complete. Then I will be able to live my life. Then if I only, if I had this or that, then that would change the, the rest of my life. If I only had this, then I would love you, Lord. Then I would serve you, Lord. Then I would follow you, Lord. When life calms down, then I'll really be able to devote my life to Jesus in his church. But as we see here in this passage here this morning, our main idea is that Jesus calls to his disciples from yearning to devotion. As Jesus calls his disciples from yearning and to devotion. I mean, we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more. But this, this transition from we all have yearnings. We all have things that we desire. We all have things that we need. Honestly, we need, a, we need food. We need a house. We need clothes. Things that Jesus addresses often, quite often in Scripture. We all have yearnings and, and needs in our lives. But how Jesus takes that and he calls his disciples out of that yearning to devotion to fulfill it. As, and just to set our... our, set our, our uh, are setting here this morning, that remember that Jesus has set his sights. He has, as we said, we talked about on Wednesday, stiffened his face toward Jerusalem. He is going to his death, burial, and resurrection. He is devoted to that. He is, he, this yearning for the fulfillment of his calling as God's chosen one, God's anointed one, to bring salvation to all the world. And now he has devoted himself to accomplishing it. The yearning has now shifted to devotion. It's interesting to, to see, like, when we talk about yearning and where we find fulfillment of our yearnings, it was, it's, I just heard that this week, and I don't really know where to attribute it, what you go to in a time of need is your God. What you go to in a time of need is your God. Is it God himself? Or is it fill in the blank? What is it? None of these things that we saw that we read in our passage today are bad. None of these things are, are, are terrible, bad things. You know, what do they say? You know, you know, the, I want to follow you wherever you go. The desire to, well, let me go bury my father. It was a custom of that in, that, in that age, during that day. I will follow you, but let me go and say goodbye. Let me at least just go say goodbye to the people that are in my house. You know, he, may not, he may not have been married. He or she may not have been married. But they were just wanting to go say goodbye to their parents and their families and aunts and uncles and the household because it was very important to that culture. So none of these things are bad things. But when good things become ultimate things, they become bad things. When they become the center of our lives, rather than our God, they become bad things. When it hinders you from following after Jesus, when they hinder you from being fully, fully 100% all in to God's calling for your life, they become bad things. Like my desire for a wife was not a bad thing, but when it became the ultimate thing, it became a bad thing. 
and hindered me from hearing from God. And honestly hindered me from truly being able to pursue woman, which I'm very glad and grateful for because I have a, have a wonderful wife that I could not do life and ministry without her. She is God's, God's blessing in my life. And blessings are only blessings when they lead us and others to love and serve Jesus. They're only blessings when that is the main focus of that blessing is back to Jesus. If they focus you anywhere else, it's not a blessing. That's a curse. Jesus is ultimate. Jesus makes people, things, places, and occasions good. Jesus must never take a back seat to good in our lives. These people had a yearning for several things. Let me say that were good. But Jesus was calling them to find ultimate fulfilling for these yearnings through devotion to him. But let's talk about what they were yearning for. Yearning. So they were yearning for a home. You know, making, making sure that they were taken care of. You know, the food, you know, food on the table and a shelter over their head and clothes on their back. They were looking for a, a home, a household, which is not a bad thing. Like even, even today, I was thinking about this. this uh, uh, oh, yeah, making sure that their provisions were taken care of uh, because it was, they were traveling with him. So I was thinking about that yesterday. We were packing up the camper, and uh, I, was, I was just checking everything out because we're, we're closing it down for the summer. And we went, went out camping this last weekend and went, in, and, uh, went, to, into the, went to the Norse Hot Springs, which is a really weird place if you've never been there. Really weird place. <laughs> kind of had to... Well, I had to clean myself off, <laughs> not just the water. <laughs> Creepy stuff out there. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> probably good. <laughs> we were we were closing up the camper. I was taking all the all, all the food out of there, all the stuff out of the the fridge, so I didn't have to plug it in anymore. And taking all the putting all the camping stuff in there is kind of our our camping storage for you know hunting gear and stuff like that. But so I was I was just closing it down. For, for, the, for, the, for the summer. And just thinking about like, how much of a privilege it is for us in the 21st century to load up into a portable house and go wander off like 100 miles, set up a camp next to a river, and just be for a few days. Float in a hot, you know, go swim in a hot springs. And just go, like, go off to the mountains and go and, and backpack five days through the mountainside. With the stuff that only weighs 50 pounds, you know, 40 pounds instead of like 160 pounds, like it used to back in the day. Like the, the blessing of being able to go and travel and see this world that God has created. Because thinking even like 100 years ago, that wasn't a reality. It was only for the very wealthy and, and the, the independent. Because I mean, remember, our world has been agrarian for so long. If they skipped a week, their cows would die, their sheep would die, their crops would die. Amberlynn's garden almost died. <laughs> but they could not take off this time to go, necessarily, for too long. And so we have this, this blessing, but you know, for them, they were very much aligned with, I need to be home. I need a home. I need a house, I need security, I need reliability, 
of, of knowing that people are going to be there, of crops, of animals, constantly taking care of them. You know, the only exception for this in their culture was that the, that the men were required, at least, to travel to Jerusalem three times a year. Passover, a feast, on, a feast of unleavened bread. Then you have Sukkot, I'm sorry, uh, Shavuot, which is Pentecost. And then you've got Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. And the men, at least, were required to go to each one of them. Family, I mean, families would often go together. Um, but, I mean, something you think about, like, you had to leave someone at home, you know, sometimes. But the nice thing about Sukkot was that Sukkot was for everyone. Because the harvest was done, there was nothing else to really to, to le- be left to do. Might have, like, slaves or, or caretakers for the animals and stuff back at home. But they were, they were required to go to Jerusalem three times a year to worship the Lord. So entrusting their properties to a caretaker of some sort. But they would travel. That was pretty much the only time that they would ever travel. So this, what Jesus was calling them to do, or what they wanted to do to join him, was leaving everything. It was literally leaving everything. It'd be like you picking up and grabbing a backpack with a, with a pair of clothes or two and heading off to Africa with nothing. That's what we're talking about. Leaving everything behind in order to go and follow Jesus. Jesus' band of disciples following him was a, a huge cultural oddity. Like Luke has already pointed out many times thus far, because also because women were among his followers. You know, they, they had itinerant you know, preachers and exorcists that would go around, but they didn't have a following. You know, these, these, this group in the Roman and Greek culture called cynics and sophists would be traveling around but they didn't have a following necessarily that would follow them around. So this was very odd for them. The only other, only other thing that we could see that would apply to this would be like things like the zealots, where people would leave their entire household in order to go and join a military, a violent military faction in order to fight. So this is so th- this is speaking of people who have a desire to live outside the norm, you know, home. Not just a home, like a house and provisions, but it's a place to belong, a place to to be. It's this place to 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 yes to sleep and and to eat and everything, but it's this place to call mine. I need a place to call mine. And my, my parents, we always, my family always jokes about, you know, home is where your stuff is. Not, you know, you've heard the old, the old adage, home is where your heart is. And so that really truly is, is, the, is, the, is the more accurate adage of that home is where your heart is. So my question to you this morning is, where is your heart? Where is your true home? And just write that, maybe write that question down. Where is your home? Where do you find home you know like jesus even said dens nests but the son of man doesn't have a physical place to lay his head as jesus even says my kingdom is not of this world so the answer to this person's yearning was i or we the church will be your home Jesus needs to be our home. That we lay our head and rest in him. Where we go to him to be. 
and everything else takes a back seat because Jesus is our home. To follow Jesus is to join him and to live with him in his home, his presence. Like even the, the temple in Jerusalem was called God's house. When, they first, when, when, uh, when David first desired to build the temple, he didn't say, let me build a temple to you. He said, let me build a house for God. Interestingly enough, God never instructed him to build a physical house, a physical building for him. It was David's desire to do this for God that God then blessed. God never instituted the building of a temple because he wanted his people to be where he lived. Up to that point, his, his ark, the Ark of the Covenant was in a tent that people could go and look at during David's time. They, just, they covered it with a tent and they were able to come to the Ark of the Covenant. They were able to come and there was choirs and orchestras with, you know, in and around the, the Ark of the Covenant, but they were able to gaze at the Ark of the Covenant and worship in God's presence. Wherever God's people were, that's where God desired to make his home and for their home to be where he is. That was always God's desire. Wherever they laid their head that night with Jesus, usually camped outside of a town, would become their home. Why? Because they were with Jesus. Number two. Let's look at the second, the second one. Family. The yearning for, uh, for their family. You know, not because, you know, this is not because his father had actually died yet in, in this passage. He said, let me go bury my father. Um, but th- it's, it, this was a huge cultural requirement and... Um, for them to go and, and stay and to bury their father, give their father a proper burial. You know, a, a festival, a party, a, or you know, a, a morning, not really a party, but a, like a, a gathering, if you will. And it was a dishonor to both the father and the family if the son did not take upon this responsibility. Um, but for Jesus, remember, where is he going? To his own death. And he keeps telling them this. It's like, Dude, are you not hearing? Where we are going is to Jerusalem for me to go and suffer, beaten and crucified. But uh, BRB, I'll be right back. In three days, I'll rise again. And then ascend. They had no concept of this or understanding of it. So they're like, oh, I got all the time in the world. You know, Jesus, I'll end up following you because you're going to be around for a long time, right? You're going to be here for years and decades until you die, right? Because you're just, you're a good teacher or a good rabbi. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to his imminent death in three to six months in this moment. Time was of the essence for them. This call to be part of the, with, you know, to be part or, or to part with cultural norms was an, ex, was an astounding expectation. It was a huge break. Uh, even for me, what they would consider fulfilling the commandments, the great commandments of honor your father and mother. So, Jesus, are you calling me to dishonor my father and, and dishonor my mother by leaving them? By not burying my father? Well, because time was of the, of the essence. If they wanted to be a part of the kingdom of God in that, in that time scale, yeah. Yeah. Because it was more loving to be with Jesus as a follower of Jesus than to uphold cultural norms. 
So we, uh, this, speaking of, of doing adventures this summer, so Amberlynn and I went to uh, Idaho for a little less than, well, I guess about a week, it was about a week, Tuesday to, to Monday, for a wedding. Her, her, uh, her, her basically sister growing up, her mom and, and uh, the other, you know, Mariah's uh, mom and, uh, were best friends, and so they grew up together basically as sisters. And so the, uh, he was, she was marrying this, uh, this gentleman named Mark, and uh, so, so Mariah already had a, a daughter about Jackson's age named Kiara. And so, um, <coughs> and, uh, so they were at, at the wedding, and they, and they came to this part in the ceremony that was really neat. It was where Mark got down on, on, on a knee, and he grabbed a little box, and he gave Kiara a necklace. And he read a vow to Kiara, because he was not only marrying Mariah, but he was also marrying Kiara and becoming a father figure to her. Even though he wasn't necessarily a biological father to her, he was becoming a father to Kiara. Stepfather, but being raised in their household. Because they understood, Mark understood that when he was marrying Mariah, she came with it. She came with the deal. It was a package deal. Kind of like when we marry, you know, know, when I married Amber Lynn, her parents, her entire family came with part of the deal. We could be like, well, I'd like you, but I don't know about Ryan. I don't really know about, you know, Aunt Victoria. She's really cool. I'll take Aunt Victoria. But I don't know about, uh, I, I couldn't say that. I couldn't pick and choose. Not that I wanted to, because I, I love her family. I absolutely love her family. Some are a little crazy, just like my family. <laughs> Right? Just like all of us. You might be that crazy person in your family. And everyone's like, oh, that guy. Oh, yeah, there's Mike again. (laughs) But we get it as a package deal. But our responsibility is to love and serve every single person that we are joined into a family with. Right? Be a part of the change you want to see in the world. Don't ask for what your family can do for you, but ask what you can do for your family. JFK, right? Asking ourselves, what can we do to be a blessing? No matter people's opinion of us. No matter if we have broken relationships in our family. No matter if we have oddities and different personalities and different views on certain things. No matter how we're viewed or how we view others. How can you be a blessing? How can I, how can we be a blessing to every member of our crazy families? And that includes Jesus' family. When people come to, to the point of following Jesus, when he, when, you know, back then, when, he, when people came to that point of following Jesus, he gave them, an, um, gave them an invitation into a new family. The answer to this person's yearning the answer to this person's question and yearning was, I will be your family. And not just me, but look behind me. All the crazy brothers and sisters and crazy aunts and uncles. Welcome, your new family. Welcome, your new family. You, we are a family. This is what God said. We, are, we have become God's family. When you put your faith in Jesus and become a son or daughter of God, 
you immediately are brought into a huge, worldwide, across time, crazy awesome family of God that's learning and growing in our understanding of how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. They traveled together as disciples. It wasn't just the 12. Remember, it was the 12 and up to 72 people following Jesus at this point. Maybe even more. At some points, there were thousands of people that were following him until he said you know, the wrong thing, according to church growth you know, <laughs> methods. You know, eat my body, drink my blood. And then he lost them all. But it was the, there was a group of people following him that were devoted, that were yearning for what he had. Now, here's the thing. Remember this. They wouldn't have full access to, to Jesus. Every single person didn't have full access to Jesus in that point. Because you know, there, there may have been like, you know, Jesus way up there, and they were like all the way at the back of the pack. Or, and he was like hanging out, ministering to, to, to a group of people as they were walking. Maybe there were other people you know, listening in on the conversations. Maybe, he would be, maybe Jesus would be listening to the conversation behind him and like, yeah, yeah, and talk about it, right? Can't remember that time I walked on water? That was crazy. <laughs> remember Peter? <laughs> oh, man. That was funny, wasn't it? Yeah. If you have not seen The Chosen, watch The Chosen. One of my favorite scenes was on their walk from Galilee area to the wedding at Cana. And they're having great conversations. And Jesus was just, was kind of listening in. He was ministering to someone. And he started eavesdropping. And like, you know, it's great. And you think about that. They were talking amongst one another as they were following Jesus. We love and serve one another as we are following Jesus. We don't just sit there following Jesus by ourselves on a lone island. We are following Jesus together. As his, as his disciples did. And finally, the yearning for relationship. This, I want to go and say goodbye to everyone at my, at my house. They're yearning for this. But it's interesting that Jesus uses this very kind of harsh you know, analogy of looking back. Anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is unfit for the kingdom of God. What is he talking about here? When you put your hand to the plow and you've got your animals and your oxen in front of you and you've got your plow, you're looking straight. You're looking straight. Because if you look back, you start to wander off track and you look back, and, oh no! Then so your, your aisles end up doing this. So we, we focus forward. Focusing forward. Like, uh, so just for, for instance, so um, I think a couple years ago or so, um, I was just feeling led to, to, you know, of all the things on my Facebook and, and social media, I was like, you know what? I have not talked to many of these, people's, these people in like 10 years. And so we were going through, a, you know, KonMari, where it's just, you know, hold something in your hand, and if it sparks joy, you know, you thank it, and you let it, if it doesn't, you thank it and let it go, either to the trash or to the thrift store. You know, it's, so it's this, taking that with, with the relationships, like saying, who are, who are you, and who, and who were we together? Like, what was the relationship I had with you? And saying, thank you for the time that we spent together. Thank you so much for the relationship that we had. And now I'm going to let it go. I'm going to bless you in Jesus' name. I don't harbor anything negative against you, but I'm going to let you go by removing you as a friend. And I did a, we did a purge. I had like 2,500 friends. 
and now I've got like 250-ish. Just this great purge because I wanted everyone that I had on social media to be people that I was in a relationship with now. Or at least would if we like went back to Idaho or Texas. People that I have a relationship with. And thinking and moving on from past relationships that I no longer have. Like it's cool that you have kids now. That's great. But I don't know any I don't know you anymore. People will come and go in our lives. But Jesus is constant. We need to recognize the, uh, the importance of looking forward and not behind. This is what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus shifts and obliterates the phrase, this is how we've always done it. This is normal. By saying, guess what? We're going to do it in a different way. Disciples don't get to direct Jesus. They follow Jesus. Disciples of Jesus ought to ask Jesus, what's next? What do you want next? And trust him to lead us and to guide us and provide and to bless. Even when it's outside of our perception of what is or what could even be in our lives in our church, in our world, in our city. It's so easy to look at the news and just give up. And just throw up your hands like, I'm done. I don't, I don't care anymore. Let, it, let, let the world just destroy itself. Versus engaging to bless and watching and seeing what God could do. As long as we're following Jesus together, we're yearning for him, then our direction will be straight. Put your hand to the plow and let him direct the way. Let him make your rows straight. Because Jesus calls his disciples from yearning to devotion. Now let's talk about that second step. That was the yearning that God alleviates by his presence, by who he is. But he takes this and he cultivates devotion from that yearning. He fulfills the yearning when we uh, place our devotion in him. The cure for their yearning was back then, is today, and will always be devotion. The cure for yearning is devotion. Let's see, let's see how, how Peter responded to this. This is the, 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 the Jewish people in uh, Acts chapter 2. When the people heard this, this is the great big gospel proclamation, the first sermon ever given after Jesus has ascended in Jerusalem in the temple. Here it is. He, he proclaimed the gospel this, that you must believe in Jesus, that Jesus died and rose again. So when the people heard this gospel of Peter's, their hearts were pierced. And they said to Peter and his fellow apostles, our brothers, what should we do? And Peter responded, responded, <laughs> Consider, reconsider your lives. Change your direction. Participate in the ceremonial washing of baptism in the name of Jesus, God's anointed, the liberating king. Then your sins will be forgiven and the gift of the Holy Spirit will be yours. For the promise of the Spirit is for you, for your children, for all people, even those considered outsiders and outcasts. The Lord our God invites everyone to come to him. 
This is what it is. This is what it's saying. And, and the, the, the conclusion to this is that they did. They believed. And 3,000 souls were added to their number that day from this call in their lives to devote themselves. And then when they devoted themselves to Jesus and believed, they changed their mind. They reconsidered their lives. That word metanoia, that means, it's oftentimes translated repent. Reconsider your lives. Change your trajectory. Change your mind, which changes your trajectory. Change your direction. And they did. And then what did they devote themselves to? When they became a part of the family of God. One of the most amazing verses in all in Scripture. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is what defined the orthopraxy of the early church. And orthopraxy means God's way. God's way of living in the church. This is basically the mandate scripture for the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, preaching of the word, to the fellowship with one another, the koinonia, to the breaking of bread, table fellowship, and to prayer. Devoted. Devoted themselves to God and then devoted themselves to the church. They devoted themselves to God by devoting themselves to the church and they devoted themselves to the church to devote themselves to God. They devoted their lives. Everything about who they were, everything about what they did was formed around they're the body of Christ. If I have time, I might do something else if I have time after spending time with the church, with God's people. The Didache, the earliest document in the church, says, see the brethren daily for encouragement, for, the, for teaching one another about, of God, about God's ways. They devoted themselves, this is basically a fancy way of saying, to one another. They devoted themselves to God by devoting themselves to one another. And by devoting themselves to one another, that was how they were devoting themselves to God. Because God's people represent him on earth. So to devote yourself to the church, to one another, to the one anothering in the church, is to devote yourself to God. And you're reading in your word. And you're reading and, and praying your prayer. Spending time in Jesus' presence. Being with him. And being with his family. Show up for God in the mornings. Devote yourself to your quiet time. Devote yourself to the reading of the word. Devote yourself to growing in maturity. Devote yourself to him. And devote yourself. Show up for your earthly family and for your heavenly family. So he says in, in 1 John, don't set the affections of your heart on this world or in the loving of things, the things of this world. The love of the Father and the love of this world are incompatible for all that the world can offer us, the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, and the obsession with status and importance. None of these things come from the Father, but from the world. This world and its desires are in the process of passing away, but those who love to do the will of God live forever. They devoted themselves to the teachings, to being with one another, to having table fellowship and communion with one another, and to prayer. This is what 
personify the early church. This is how Jesus alleviates the, the, the yearnings of a desire for a home and a family and relationships and friendships. He fulfills the yearnings by drawing us to devotion. So asking in our lives, do we fit God and his church into our lives or do we fit our lives into God and his church? Where is your heart when it comes to your devotion, your allegiance? That word faith is faithfulness. Pistis means devotion, allegiance to God and his word and his presence. And so as we, as we end our time here this morning, our, our sermon time, I want to put up a few, just a few questions. And as we, as we gather and as we take communion, I want these questions to resonate in our hearts to resonate and ask ourselves the questions of how can we change our trajectory? How can we shift our life to yearn for God, to yearn for his direction, to yearn for his presence, and to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is what should define us as a church. We need to value what God values. Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word and how you fulfill the yearnings of our hearts. You fulfill the needs of our souls. God, I pray that you would draw us into engage in that. Lord, to be a part of the flourishing of your church here at Shift, God. God, that we would pursue you and pursue one another in a meaningful way to show up, Lord. Lord, to see, to see you clearly. For you to take a front seat in our lives. To direct every movement, every direction. And have the freedom to change the navigation at any moment. Because you are in control, God. Lord, shift our hearts here this morning. Change and, and soften our hearts, Lord, to follow you. Lord, let us yearn for you. We love you, Lord Jesus. For it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.